Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have Kate P. Adams. Yes, we do. And it's great. And she's one of our new authors. When we did the new author series, we had such a positive response that we decided about every quarter we would talk to another new author. And this has been just, it was a great interview. We had a lot of fun and um, Kate kind of did everything right. She did it. She did. She's She's a cozy mystery author and mm-hmm. she did a bunch of research. She yep. transitioned like out of her um, kind of corporate job into writing and she did a lot of research and she told us how she did that, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. she rapid released her books yep. and like she held them, she wrote them, held them back and released them and kind of how mm-hmm. what the release pattern was and, yep. and she did a reader magnet. So yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was a lot of fun to just mm-hmm. talk to her about kind of um, how she's transitioned into the writing world and yeah. done really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was great. It was a fun, I mean, I, I, we laughed a lot on that interview. Yeah. It was, uh, I don't know, we were all feeling pretty giddy that day, I guess, because it was, yeah. it was, I just remember being super fun. So yeah. what's been going on with you? Uh, this week I've actually got a lot of writing done, which is, feels mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. And, um, I had a translation launch today. Today's mm-hmm. we're recording this on the second of right. February, a little bit earlier than we normally do in the week. Mm-hmm. So second translation is out in, um, French. Wow. So yay. Happy about yeah. that. And, um, I'm just kind of doing a lot of, uh, kind of admin stuff for yeah. translations and, you know, plans for the year, kind of yes. mapping out what else I want to do this year. And, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm finishing up that the Write Better Faster class or mm-hmm. Market Better Faster class. And it's been really good because it's kind of given me, like you look at everything and you mm-hmm. think about everything you're doing and mm-hmm. you figure out, is this good? Do I enjoy this? And is it something that works well for me and my readers? You know? Right. Right. So, um, so that has been really good. That's good. That, and, That's um, Watched a couple of episodes of Shetland. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's I've seen it. Acorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's very good. It's very different. It's uh, the first two seasons are uh, more episodic, mm-hmm. uh, police procedural type mysteries, mm-hmm. almost cozy mystery, mm-hmm. but not not too sweet. And yeah. then it gets a little bit darker in season mm-hmm. three. So if you like okay. darker stuff, start with three. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if not, maybe just give that season a miss. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What have you been doing? Just writing. Um, I've tried some dictation. We were talking, mm. we were just talking about it. Um, I haven't dictated very much, but this is what I find y'all I'm dictating. And it's like, I'm narrating the book. I'm like the mom say, you know, when I'm doing the mom, I do a voice. And when I'm doing the hurt, the, <laughs> the hero, I'm doing a voice. I'm like, I don't have to do this. I can't believe the, I'm using otter. I can't believe they can pick up my words, but it's been pretty accurate. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I just am trying to do, do some things to make the writing process 
less monotonous because if mm-hmm. I'm honest, while I love telling stories and I love publishing books and I love the feedback from the readers, the actual writing process is very monotonous for me. And so I'm just trying something different and yeah. it was fun. It was fun. And I got, you know, a good bit of words in a short period of time, but people, you know, I was listening to somebody and they were like, I, I dictate about an hour and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh my I gosh. Minutes. And I'm like, exhausted yeah. like 20 if I can get 20 25 minutes I'm like even and usually, the, usually like by then I'm like I'm done like I have yeah. nothing else to I've say, nothing to not, say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all out of words <laughs> and you know you have to go in and fill it out and you yeah. know fill out the scene and um you know clean it up and everything but still mm-hmm. it was it was good to get words on the page in a different way so. yeah so I was gonna ask about the otter did you like you just spoke, like you brought it up on your computer and mm-hmm. just spoke and it record yeah. and it, yeah. Cause I've the tried good thing to use about it. Otter is they, it adds punctuation, which okay. you know I'm pretty bad at. So it's not <laughs> perfect. It does not add quotation marks though. And I didn't say quotation marks because I wasn't sure I was supposed right. to. Yeah. So anyway, it was, so you good. can go back in and put those in. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but it was, it was cool. And, uh, you know, we can put that link in the show notes if anybody wants to check it out. Yeah. You get 600 free minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they and have that's a, plenty to just try it and yeah. see if you like it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I only did 10 minutes yesterday. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So okay. that's, that's good. All right. Well, we should get on with the interview with Kate and um, we will see y'all next week. All right. So today we're really happy to talk to Kate P. Adams. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so glad you're here. Yeah. So let me read your bio. Kate P. Adams is the author of the lighthearted Charleston House Mysteries, in which she draws on over 25 years experience of working in some of the UK's most spectacular buildings. Kate grew up in Derbyshire, the setting of her books. It went on to work in theaters around the country, the National History Museum, London, the University of Oxford and Hampton Court Palace. Every day she explored darkened corridors and rooms full of history behind the doors the public never got to enter. Kate weaves history in the spectacular setting of Derbyshire into her work from her new home in the USA. That that sounds fantastic. (laughs) That is wonderful. Yeah. Behind the scenes. I love that. So tell us how you got into writing, Kate. Well, uh, like a lot of people, I I did bits and pieces in my, my teens and my early 20s and kind of played around with it a little bit, but never got anything published. And then... It all really started for me back in 2017, 2018, because the first book I ever published was actually a management book. And I, like it says in my bio, I'd spent 25 years managing teams and decided that there was a bit of a gap in the market, a particular uh, area in, in managing teams. And around that time, I was also starting to get ready to make a move to the US and knew I wouldn't be able to work for a while. So I thought, okay, I'm I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to write this management book that I've been thinking about for a really long time. And I chose to publish it independently. And that was published in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And I thought, okay, I really enjoyed doing this. I want to do more writing. I love the writing. I love the publishing side. And around the same time, I started reading Cozy Mysteries. Mm-hmm. And I just moved to the US. That had all happened. I'd moved here. And and I think that no matter 
what the reason for moving to a new country, because my reason was really positive. I, I fell in love. I married an American and, and moved over mm-hmm. here. It's still really challenging. And I think for a lot of people of the bookish inclination, we take comfort and solace in books. And mm-hmm. that was exactly what I was, was doing. And Cozy Mysteries were a great place to go in a way. There was no politics. There was no violence. There was, you know, it was just fun. You know? mm-hmm. And I suddenly thought, well, you want to write? So why don't you have a go at this? And I, I had this moment of realization that in my early 20s, I'd written 70,000 words of a crime novel. Mm-hmm. And I had completely forgotten about it. I, oh, I wow. just had no recollection of it and thought, well, there we go. Let's let's give it a go. So that was really how I started. I, I couldn't work in America at the time because I, I was waiting on my green card. So I had the time. Mm-hmm. I have a very supportive wife who said, go for it. I think you should do this. And it was it was all of that. But it was also that I was homesick and it was a, a chance to go home in my head. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I mean, you, you mentioned in the bio some of the interesting places I worked, that some of those are an equivalent of a community. And a community is always important in cozy mystery mm-hmm. of one kind mm-hmm. or another. So I just had this situation where all the little ingredients were in place. I had the time. I had the interest. I'd done a lot of the research for the management book. So I just thought, you know, this is the time to do it. I started, started writing the books. That's awesome. That's just, that's so great. I love that story. I love that story. That's great. Yeah. And it's like you brought together so many of the things that are important to cozy readers, readers, you know, wanting to go to a place that's like a nice place and a cozy, comfortable place that they want to be and have kind of that nostalgia or the kind of going back to a time where things are safe and simple which is like mm. our world is not like that right now yeah mm-hmm. so. absolutely it was really really important for that and and a lot of those those qualities I mean you know cozy mystery readers quite often love that there's a, a big market for them set being set in the UK mm-hmm. stately homes I mean Downton Abbey you know has been mm-hmm. around a few years now but that had that was very very popular America and UK but um you know, I was I was thinking of the American market initially when I started writing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that sense of community, the, the history behind places, the inbuilt mystery to these environments, mm-hmm. it, it all sort of fell into place. Yeah, that is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about writing your first book. Like how long? I mean, you so you had your crime book that you had started, but so the cozy was different, or did you take that crime book and rework it? Oh, I never looked at the old crime book. Yeah. It was completely different. It was <laughs> that will never see the light again. Oh, I remembered I, it and then promptly forgot it. Yeah. <laughs> and so many of our first books are hidden away somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell us about your first cozy. Like how long it took you to write it and all kind of the details on that. Yeah, well, the first book actually was a novella mm-hmm. because when I'd been doing a lot of the research for the, the management book one of the things I'd learned about was reader magnets. Mm-hmm. So I knew about that before I even started, which was fantastic because it meant that I didn't have to go back. A lot of mm-hmm. authors realize yeah. they need to do a reader magnet and go back mm-hmm. and do a prequel and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I didn't have to do that. I started with that reader magnet, which was a novella, and it probably took me about, I don't know, two to three months to write simply because it was the first one I'd done. A novella typically wouldn't take that long now. But um, that was the first one. And um, 
you know, tried out a few different things. What kind of characters did I want to use? Was it going to be a murder mystery or was it going to be slightly different? How is it going to fit into the the big history of, of Charlton House? And um, yeah, so I started with a novella, which was a, a nice kind of bite-sized way to start. And that was, it was a couple of months, I think, that it, it took me to get that one done. Yeah. Now, did you sell that or did you just use it as a reader magnet? It's just a reader magnet. It's free on the website. That's the only way that you can get it. So oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 That's really very smart. Very smart. Yeah. And it's the very, it's the very first murder that the, the amateur sleuth um, encounters. And it, I also made it the first murder in the 500 year history of Charlton House. So it, it mm. kind of has uh-huh. this weighty history element to it as well. But it, it was fun to write. I um I got to kill off one or two people I I worked with in inverted commas. Should we come back to that later? <laughs> that is always nice. a, a fodder for mystery mm-hmm. plots, you you know, from previous work probably. Right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so did you have a marketing plan when I mean Clearly, a reader magnet is a marketing plan. But beyond that, did you have um, a marketing plan when you started? Uh, yes and no. Uh, no in terms of the, the typical stuff like Amazon advertising and that kind of stuff. But the, 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 the wider picture, I suppose, yes, because I, I made a decision that two things were going to be important to me. One was rapid release mm-hmm. that I mm-hmm. didn't know a thing about until I started researching. <laughs> all of this kind of thing. And I I understood the theory behind that. So rapid release, which I know is is very important and does actually go under the heading of of marketing. Mm -hmm. And then it was building the backlist. That Mm -hmm. I know is hugely important. I understood that. I'd done the research and, you know, the the idea of having a a long-running series is ideal with Cozy Mystery. So those were the two things that were massively important to me and also fed into the kind of, my own natural skills, I guess, in some respects. So I made a conscious choice that those were the two things that I was going to focus on. And I wasn't going to start doing any other kind of advertising (laughs) that you would typically put Mm -hmm. under the heading of advertising until much later on. So I didn't start doing Amazon ads, for example, until October, November of the same year. And I launched the first book to buy in April. So I had quite a gap. And rapid released I had four books for sale before I started doing any of the standard advertising work so it was a conscious choice because I mm-hmm. also knew that when I started doing more typical advertising mm-hmm. that I had a bit mm-hmm. of a series already and a backlist for readers yeah. that's great that's great so how long are your books like your not your novella but your regular books how how long are they they are the first in series was I think it's about 55,000 words. The longest is just shy of 70. So I think I'm averaging out at about 65 now for those. Mm -hmm. There are two more novellas in the series, Mm -hmm. and they are typically around 32,000. And how long does it take you to work right, like your typical 60-ish, but average 60,000 words? That's about three months. I mean, I've I've just started uh, a book beginning of this month, and I've got it scheduled to finish. well, that's not true. I'm going to try and get this one done in two months, but the, the first draft. But typically, it's three months to get to the point where I can send it off to my beta readers. I actually found with my novellas, it can actually be similar. I don't find that I save a lot of time with 
the novellas. Depends mm-hmm. on why they're novellas as well. Right. The sure. first novella was a novella because of the pandemic and I just right. couldn't get the full-length book out. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'd say typically about three months to get the first draft done yeah, and ready yes. to work on. Yeah. Do you That's find good. that if you're doing a novella with like a full whodunit mystery, that it takes quite a bit of plotting and time and pages to complete? I've found that. Yeah, absolutely. I think I the last novella I did, I felt like I'd kind of tied my hands a little bit because you're trying to think in exactly the same way, but you've got a much more limited number of words to work with. And that that mm-hmm. can present its own issues. Yeah. And actually, the last book I published, which is, I do consider it part of the series, book eight in the series, is a collection of short stories and a short novella based around the different characters in the book. So you get to find out little bits of information about their history and a few little stories. And that was exactly the same, that even though it might be 5,000 words long, or in one case, you know, 18,000 words long, you've still got to think about red herrings and and Mm -hmm. and how they're going to discover it. And it's, Mm -hmm. I find it just as intense. Mm -hmm. So actually with the short story, it it was a really challenging book to put together because I had to come up with, you know, six or seven different stories, Mm -hmm. six or seven different sets of red herrings. So I don't find that doing something much shorter makes the job easier at all. Yeah. Uh, okay. That makes me feel better because I feel the same way. <laughs> and I've, and I've heard about, um, I've heard that Agatha Christie took several of her short stories and reworked them into novels. And I'm going, I can kind of see that. I don't know that I want to do that personally, but mm-hmm. if you have like the bones there, it would be possible mm-hmm. to expand it. And yeah, cause I think oh, they are, absolutely. I don't think that for me, at least they're not quick and fast. Like I can't dash off a short story. So mm-hmm. It makes no, me feel absolutely. better that I'm not the only yeah. one. <laughs> and, yeah, I you do know, sometimes. Sorry, go on. No, no, no. I was just going to say, you know, the whole whodunit thing, you know, we have that in romance too. I mean, there's a lot of people doing it, but it's not whodunit. Mm-hmm. It's not the main. Really. <laughs> it's more about who's doing it. So. <laughs> a bit less of that. But, um, um, <laughs> but there's not a lot of mystery involved with that usually. No, no, no. We per- <laughs> we typically know who's doing it yeah. <laughs> that's a whole different kind of romance. <laughs> yeah. well what do you wish you what do you know now that you wish you knew when you got started is there anything that comes to mind that you kind of wish you could go back and give um, that knowledge to your previous self <laughs> to be honest not really and that possibly sounds a touch arrogant but I <laughs> I did so much research before I started doing this in in the process of, of getting ready for the the management book at the time I was actually doing some work at an airport because I'd, I'd left my kind of major career to get ready to move and that involved a quite a long commute every day at ridiculous times of day and night because it's you know mm-hmm. an airport and each way for hours every day, depending on traffic, I was binge listening to people like Mark Dawson and Joanna Penn. And there was a a kind of management business book focused Mm -hmm. one. So I listened to the entire backlist of those podcasts. And it it really did set me up really well Mm -hmm. for this, because it just means that everything that you know, I read about in in Facebook groups, uh, new authors struggling with certain things. And I think, not in a kind of arrogant way, but I do sit there and think, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I know about that. I knew that would happen mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I'd read and I was prepared. So it doesn't mean that everything I experienced I liked, mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't a surprise. 
Right. So I think, and that's something that I, I always say to people when they ask me about this, this line of work is do the research because everything is out there and nothing oh, yeah. really needs to come as a surprise if mm-hmm. you do your homework. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, and it always makes me really sad when I see those posts and they've, they've put their book at, I mean, this is me when I put the first novella that I did uh, under a different name out and you're like, what do I do? I mean, nobody's buying it. How, mm. and which started me on that whole journey of finding out what to do. And I agree with you, the more, you know, knowledge is power and it is the more knowledge you can get and have in your arsenal before you start the better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. it's, it's all available. I mean, the, yeah. the, the indie author community is absolutely fantastic because of the willingness to help one another and support and share information. And I've not yet come across anybody who holds their knowledge and experience really close and doesn't want to share it with anybody. Nobody's been like that. So it just means that everything you need is out there. Just mm-hmm. And you don't even have to dig around. It, it's just, you know, find those podcasts, find those yeah. groups. And do the work before you get started, because you save yourself not only a load of time, but possibly a lot of money as well. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah. The school of podcasting is. Yep. But like Sarah how, and I got our I education. Mean, yeah. For the indie author movement, that's how I learned all this stuff, you know? And so definitely big thumbs up. Recommended that yeah. as well. So, so yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So um, did you. Did you find your editor and cover designer in that while doing that research or um, did that come kind of later? A little bit of both. In mm-hmm. the early days, I heard about Reedsy mm-hmm. and that was how I made contact with um, my editor and proofreader for the management book mm-hmm. and my cover designer for that is a guy that does a lot of work with Mark Dawson. So I found mm-hmm. out about him, Stuart Bache, I found out about him through the podcast. But what I did when it came to the cozies was I looked at the books I was reading. So mm-hmm. if I was reading a book that I thought that I particularly enjoyed mm-hmm. and I thought was particularly well-written and probably well-edited, who's getting the mention and the acknowledgements? Who's, yep. who's the editor yeah. in there? Yeah. And um, same with the cover. I'd, I'd look at covers that I, I really liked. I actually had a little bit of a journey with cover design for the cozies. Uh, and, uh, and they can, as most cover. of us do with that first book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But cozies are, yeah. have their own special challenges, I think, for covers. So Absolutely. talk to us about that. Tell us how that went. Well, I had one cover designer. And with that, it was simply a case of, you know, I, I wasn't, wasn't blown away by the quality of work that was being produced. And obviously, mm. I'm not going to mention any names in, in this <laughs> section. Um, but also in terms of, what I had been promised, you know, you're going to get three examples, you're going to get this, you're going to get the other. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that at all. And mm-hmm. it wasn't going anywhere. So I then found another designer whose work I really liked. I, I kind of jettisoned the other one, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, found a new designer. And we'd agreed to work together. I'd filled in the paperwork. We reached the deadline and she'd vanished. Mm. And I couldn't track her down. And and she completely vanished. And And I know quite a few authors now who had used her and she's never been heard of again. Mm. So I was then very close to publication and didn't have cover designer. So I went back to the drawing board and and flicked through, you know, I looked at Amazon, I looked at who was where in the top 100, who were Mm -hmm. people using. And um, that's where I came across my current cover designer who has done 
a fantastic job mm -hmm. and taught me quite a lot about cover design and, and mm -hmm. cozy covers and made choices that I I had initially. So, for example, <laughs> I mean, this whole thing about, you know, it's a business and mm -hmm. we can't just do things because we like it. I have a cat in my books and um, I'd said to the cover designer, there's a cat in it. I know cozy readers love cats. I'm not that cutesy a kind of person. Stick it on the back if you've got to put a cat on the cover. And she sent the designs for the first three books to me. And there's the cat smack in the middle of the front of the cover. And <laughs> she said to me, cozy readers love cats and you'll sell more with the cat on the front of the cover. And she was absolutely right. Mm. And I now get, I get a lot of readers from emails and nine out of 10 emails say, say hello to pumpkin because pumpkin <laughs> cat is real and pumpkin is now more of a, a celebrity than i am amongst my, my reader circle and my designer was absolutely right and it was mm -hmm. a business choice that was the right way to go and and she's a good designer she knows her stuff yeah so, they look really good i'm looking thank at you. them now yeah thank you yeah they, <laughs> they, they, they fit the market perfectly yeah, I'm, I'm i'm really pleased with them um my designer did a fantastic job and yeah, that was all through looking at what other people were doing. So mm -hmm. I always say, you know, go, go back. It's probably the wrong phrase. So go back to basics, but go look at what is out there mm -hmm. and is for sale mm -hmm. and is working. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And I've said this before, but I'll, I'll say it again for anybody new that if you're on Amazon and you go to the, you can go to a look, the look inside usually, mm -hmm. and usually on the copyright page, people will have acknowledged their cover designers or their editors. Mm -hmm. Not always, but they do do that and so you don't have to buy the book necessarily if you're just looking for cover options kind of references yeah yes yeah I always suggest you buy the book but it's, <laughs> I'm just saying you can't yeah I think that's an excellent example of being smart enough to let somebody to let the designer kind of lead yes. in that and that's really yes. hard when you first start out because yep. but if you do it you can have Big, you have a big payoff. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, it's one of those things that you see a lot in groups and places like Facebook and people who are clinging on to the cover because they love it. I know. And it, I had to get not... out of those groups. I, yeah. I just, <laughs> yeah, I don't have yeah. the bandwidth to deal with that. I, I just can't. <laughs> You've got to listen to the experts. So there's, you, you know, it's yeah. it's like any industry. I'm surrounded by experts in their field who I have to listen to and learn from. And one day I'll know enough to advise other people. And I, right. you know, but now I've got to listen to other people and learn. And it's really right. important. Mm. I agree. Well, what has been the biggest surprise that you've had? Ah, uh, well, I, I think there's been a couple really. I think the first thing that really struck me was the level of reader engagement yeah. and that I would hear these stories about authors who would get emails from readers about how much their books meant to them yeah. and I guess I never really thought that would happen to me but it did very quickly yeah. and I remember very early on getting an email from a reader who said you know I, I loaned my book to a friend of mine she's been going through cancer treatment and she said that reading your book was the first time she really escaped after months of, of being unwell. And that blew my mind. I mean, I <laughs> yeah. tears when I read that. But I've now got a very loyal following of readers who contact me. I'm regularly getting emails off new readers and the extent to which people enjoy them for a start, <laughs> but the way they really will engage with the characters and the history and my work was 
a very pleasant surprise when that started to happen. So the the depth of reader engagement was a, a surprise. The other thing that's taken me a little by surprise is just how much this has taken over my life and how much <laughs> it means to me. And this is what I want to do for a very long time. Yeah. And I mean, I I've always worked with stories in one way or another. I did an English degree. I worked in theatre for many years. Mm -hmm. uh, in many of the sites that we worked at, it was all about education and storytelling and introducing mm -hmm. people to history. So words have always played a really important part to me. But now I'm just utterly obsessed. I mean, I, you know, whether it's despite writing full time, I'm I'm reading even more. I'm really keen to work on my craft and my mm -hmm. skill as an author. I the, the collection of short stories I wrote, they were written on a manual typewriter. Wow. A, because I just think they're really cool. <laughs> and B, because I was really curious to see if it changed the way I wrote and, you know, what the end product was like. So it, even with that kind of thing, just words, I'm just mm -hmm. obsessed with the whole thing now. And it really has become, I don't think it's yet reached unhealthy levels of obsession, <laughs> but it has become an obsession. and. I have so many ideas for series and, and you know, new books and new characters and all that kind of stuff that I knew or I was pretty sure that I would enjoy it. But now it's it's all I can think of doing mm -hmm. and mainly all I can think of as well. <laughs> so that that has been quite a quite a surprise and a, and a very, a very pleasant one. Yes. That the the weight of importance in my life that, yeah. that writing and, and literature has taken is is fantastic it's I love it that's great and how about your wife I mean is she surprised by how things have gone or is she I, she well she would say no in the uh, I, I mean in terms of, of how well my books are doing and you know she's not at all surprised and is you know mm -hmm. telling me that that you know she loves them and they're wonderful and of course I'm going to do well uh, and is uh, a typical in a nice way supportive spouse in in terms of believing in me oh, in a great. way that I probably haven't done um <laughs> and um yeah I, I think because it has also helped me find something for me to focus on and a new career I couldn't continue with the old career um because of where I moved to in America and geographically it made it very hard so it's certainly given me a focus and a community you know my own set of author friends my own yeah. world to be a part of and and that's something that my wife thinks is is fantastic yeah. that's awesome that's, that's wonderful mm -hmm. well I have to ask real quick about the typing on the manual typewriter did you find that it changed the way you wrote um I, yes actually I think I did it did because one of the things that, that I find using a, a manual typewriter is that you have to keep the rhythm going. You have to keep typing. You have to. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I've heard about the way to learn to type on a manual typewriter is to play music and oh. keep going almost in time with the music and just keep going. And so I wanted the thoughts to keep flowing. So I kept writing and it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, I mean, my first draft is, is very much what I call the, the vomit draft, however I'm, I'm writing. But with a typewriter, I kept that flow up. And I also found that I could get a little bit more introspective with my characters than I would do mm. on a, a laptop. Um, I write a lot of letters uh, to friends, whether it's handwritten or on typewriters. I, I love traditional mail. And I find <laughs> that happens in the letters I do. So it kind of translated really well to the stories. And the 
the short stories because it's less about who did what and who the killer is and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You're looking more in depth at people's personalities. And I, I found that worked really well on the typewriter. It made me keep going. <laughs> and I also felt a little bit closer to the work because the there isn't that that massive electronics between your fingers and the written word mm-hmm. it is literally you press a key <laughs> hits the, the whatever it is the paper the inks on the paper there's the word so I felt much more like I was creating I was mm-hmm. physically creating the work yeah um so yeah it did in some respects um some of them not obvious but it was a process that I really enjoyed the other thing is you're not sat in front of a screen all day and that can get really yeah. challenging. So just for yes. my eyes, the way yes. my brain worked, mm-hmm. it was healthy, I think. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'd recommend it. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's been the biggest mindset shift you've had um, since you published? Oh, the biggest mindset shift. Um, well, the kinds of, of mindset changes that are often talked about are things like, you know, viewing it as a business, all that kind of stuff. And I I knew that. I knew that that was going to be the case. So I was kind of prepared for that. Quite how much I've completely made that shift is possibly up for debate. Yeah. I still would much rather spend my days writing. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to be traditionally published. It's not mm-hmm. something I ever even investigated, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've never submitted anything to a publishing house. So it's one that I found slightly challenging. Um, Possibly the big one is working very much as a solo person. Um, I do have what I consider a team in mm-hmm. terms of my editor, my proofreader, my cover designer, mm-hmm. but I've my entire career has been teamwork. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's just through managing people or putting out a, a creative product at the mm-hmm. end, it was always masses of people. So I've I have struggled to adapt to mm-hmm. working on my own mm-hmm. in a room, which was, of course, made even harder by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's been something I've struggled with. And I'm, I'm still not there yet. I have to find ways to deal with that. But mm-hmm. I love the end product. So it's, it's, um, it's not something that, that causes a block for me, but it's certainly something I've had to adapt to, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, so we want thing we, one thing we wanted to ask you about was um, how you've incorporated some of the details from your previous work life into your fiction. Because I think there are people who they are interested in using, you know, elements or situations or locations in their current work, but how they're not quite sure how to go about it. So you've done that quite extensively, right? So kind of give us some ideas on how you've done that and any tips you have <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah it's it's an area where I think you do have to be quite careful and I'm I'm not a lawyer I, you know I can't right. advise yeah. on the legalities of all that kind of stuff but I think instinctively I've been quite careful and I think found a way to do it I was having this conversation yesterday with another author actually and, and some of the the pitfalls or otherwise of using real places but what I did so Charlton House is a real mixture of a number of real places mm-hmm if you were to look at each of the rooms in turn, I could tell you which historic house in the UK they came from. But I made sure that I didn't use one specific location because I didn't want to get any, into any trouble. <laughs> yeah. the, the times that I have done that are when I know that there's absolutely no risk. So, for example, the Natural History Museum in London, 
I take some characters in there in the seventh book in the series in a capital crime, but I was never saying anything about the organization I that, that could get me into trouble. I was not using people that really existed. Mm-hmm. I make sure that personalities are different enough from anybody mm-hmm. that really exists mm-hmm. and the name mm-hmm. is changed. So I'm just very careful about being able to disguise any reference to people who are alive. Mm-hmm. And I I just sort of, you have to think very carefully about the organisation that you might be talking about. And if the, for example, a building or a place, it's not just a pile of bricks. There mm-hmm. is a company involved in that and, and you just have to be really careful. So I mixed it up a bit. The, there's no doubt that to a large extent, I'm talking about my experiences at Hampton Court. Mm-hmm. And anybody that knows me that that worked there will recognise that. I take events that happen at Hampton Court. I use them as themes. But food festivals, weddings, uh, exhibitions about cycling, they're things that you can find anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're not limited to that particular place. I'll also shift places geographically. So mm-hmm. I think it's just... You can use your experience. You can use specific events, you, but you just need to disguise them enough that you're not going to get yourself into any trouble. Right. What I did do is I reference every now and again people who did exist in history. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't do anything that would damage their name or reputation. And you can do that. It's fine. I mean, I, I have a, a reference, um, the copyright section in one of my books it was my editor who advised me this um and it says all characters in this publication other than those clearly in the public domain are fictitious Mm -hmm. and any resemblance to real people alive or dead is purely incidental so i acknowledge that they're real people Mm -hmm. um and again it's just about being careful Mm -hmm. i wouldn't be afraid of using experiences i wouldn't be afraid of of drawing from the people that you've met um you know, I, I have killed off somebody that I came across in one of my jobs and she drove me absolutely crazy. And I, <laughs> myself and some colleagues used to talk about how we'd love to bury her under the patio. So I did. You know, I, I, I killed this woman off in a method that we talked about, but nobody will know who it is. You know, yeah, there, yeah. there's so little link now that right. I would say to people, just don't go ahead and do it. Just be quite careful. Yeah. And also get somebody else to read the work, especially right. if it's somebody who knows what you're talking about, mm-hmm. if they know the place and they know the people, mm-hmm. because they can turn around and say, ah, oh, no, you're going to know that that's Joe Bloggs <laughs> straight mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. mix it up is, is what I'd say. Mix it up. Yeah. 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 That's kind of what I've done with my stuff, because my very first series was about um, a military spouse. And I used a lot of the locations where we had actually lived. But I just fictionalized them. So I gave the bases and the towns different names. And But anybody who had ever been there, if they read the book, I've even had people email me and say, this Greenlee Air Force Base, could that yeah. be? Dot, dot. And I'm like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like yeah. not it's not a perfect representation. Right. I think that's the key right. is you kind of just give it just a little twist so that it's it's your own, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you can still bring in enough places that are, are real to reference. For example, I'm writing a book at the moment that is set in a particular town in Derbyshire that is quite well known. It's quite a tourist destination. It, it's a town called Buxton, uh, which I think, Sarah, you've probably come across when you did your, <laughs> yes. your research because you did a lot of research in the area that I'm from in England. Yeah. 
And what I've done is a lot of it's set in a hotel. So I've taken some key aspects of the history of a hotel that does exist and then created a fictional hotel. Yeah. Basically down the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Opera House, the Buxton Opera House, which is very famous, will still get a reference. There'll be one right. or two cafes that might get a reference, but not in any way that causes a problem. But the building where most of the action takes place is a fictional hotel. And I'll, yes. you know, I'll make that very clear in, in author's notes in the book. So people will know exactly where it is because I'm using the real name and some of the mm-hmm. real places, but they're not the ones that are going to get covered in the action. So I'm I'm not right. at any risk because of that. Yeah, that's great. Very smart. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I want to take us back to the rapid release just for a few minutes, if that's okay with you. Because, um, well, first of all, when did you publish your first book? Did I miss that? Because I didn't, I don't remember you that saying that. was April of 2020 was the of first 2020. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. after that, how did you put out a book every month, every three months, every, I mean, how did you do that? The first three books came out with a gap of a month at a time. So okay. uh, April, May, June, uh, I had the first three in the series. And then at, later in the summer, I think it was August, the next one came out. Mm-hmm. And then I had a book out at the end of November. So that first year was pretty rapid, wow. but it was three yeah. that came out. Bang, bang, bang. Bang, bang, bang. Months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then now what are you doing? Are you kind of still on that, what, three or four month schedule? Uh, or? Kind of. I mean, last year I published in, oh, blimey, May, <laughs> August, and December. So okay. the schedule was, was off a little bit. This year my plan is I will probably write four books but be able to publish three before the year is out. Okay. So I think that's going to be pretty typical for me is, fingers yeah. crossed, three books a year published. And I will do... I'm starting on a second series mm-hmm. and my plan is to not quite as rapid. The first two will come out probably two or three months apart. Okay. Um, but I'll do a pre-order for the second one so that people can immediately click through to that. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And are you wide or in KU? I'm in KU. I often think about that question and I think <laughs> further down the road, I probably will make a step into wide, but I I have a plan that involves another pen name in probably about two years. So I'm toying with trying wide with the new pen name. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. It's one that constantly runs through my head. But for now, I'm KU. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I think every K, well, a lot of KU authors think the very same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I know I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not. Yeah, we're always, no matter what you're at, you're always wondering, is it the grass greener mm-hmm. over there? Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. It's typical. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, do you have any advice for cozy writers who are just getting started right now? Like anything, any tips? Would you write? It sounds like you would recommend rapid release release if it's possible for somebody to do that. Yeah, I would. I, you know, rapid release takes a lot of work up front Mm -hmm. and mentally being able to write three books and not immediately see yeah, the, the the feedback or getting the sales can be really challenging. I mean, after I'd done two, that got really hard work. It's like they're not even on sale. What am I doing? Um, yeah. But I think having that patience is is certainly something I would advise. Rapid release was a good way to go, certainly for me. And because, like we discussed earlier, that the research of being prepared is so important mm-hmm. that I would say take your time. 
don't, don't rush this. First of all, the quality of the product is less likely to be of the standard you want it to be, but you'll be much better prepared. Yeah. Do your research and also make sure you're, you're very well read in, in the, excuse me, in the subject area. Yes. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That's so important because, yeah, if you don't have a good handle on what your readers want, and you're, you know, because cozy readers have very specific parameters that they want. And if you can't meet those, then, and if you're doing rapid release and holding books back, that can be a challenge. Yeah, you, you really do need to know your market. And that's where it ties into it being a business as well. You know, do make sure you're aware of what the readers want, what is popular, what is selling right now. It's great to write stuff because you simply want to when you love it. And there's nothing wrong in doing that. But if you want those sales, if you want to make this a career, then that's where the business mindset comes in. So, absolutely, I mean, read read that genre till it's coming out of your ears that's what i what i do and and cozy i'm a big fan of police procedure and all that kind of stuff which which also helps so associated genres just you know they say you can't be a good writer if you're not a reader and when i hear about authors saying oh they've not really got time to read i just don't really understand what they're doing so um yeah, I, that's the big thing for me is be patient, take your time, do the research, because if you don't, you're going to experience problems later on and you're going to be kicking yourself. Mm-hmm. So um, find those podcasts. And um, the other thing I'd say, and, and this is a little bit general, it's not just about cozies, is there is so much help and advice out there. Mm-hmm narrow it down it can get really really overwhelming Mm -hmm. um you know pick a few people whose work you you respect who you know you know they have the sales they know what they're talking about you know somebody like like yourself sarah that is a cozy mystery author you're very successful for very good reasons and you're somebody that it's worth people listening to uh in the cozy mystery field so again it comes down to do your homework that's what i'd say every time yeah Thank you for those kind words. Yes, well, it's very true. But also, I would say if you hear the same thing being said over and over and over and over, then that's probably what you should do instead of going, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else, which you can do. There's That's the great thing about indie publishing. There are some things that we we all do that make success or book sales easier or at least mm-hmm. more possible. And mm-hmm. um so I think if you're if you're new and you're thinking, well, I'm going to do it different, go ahead and do it different. Yeah. Document <laughs> it. And if it works, we'll have you on the podcast. But <laughs> if it doesn't, you might want to consider doing what, you know, as far as like best practices and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that everyone else is saying to do. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a reason why so many people are saying that thing time yeah. and time again. Do yes. do listen to people who've who've done it. You're, you're right. It's it's the wonderful thing about the the indie author world is that you can do it your own way if you want. But that's where you need to think about what your aims are as well. But why are you doing this? And then mm-hmm. you right. can kind of decide on some of the advice. Absolutely, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, what do you think you've, you've mentioned several things and, and you may not have a different answer, but what do you think the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success has been? I think it was the research. Mm-hmm. I think it was yeah. the time that I spent. And I mean, I, if I counted up the hours I spent listening to those podcasts, <laughs> the boss at 3am in the morning heading to Manchester airport. I mean, it's just a tremendous amount of time. But I didn't rush it. I listened and I listened and I listened. And, you know, I I think that's that's my approach with a lot of this. I'm not trying to rush anything. I probably could write a little bit quicker if I wanted, but they wouldn't be as good. You know, I, I could try and push more books out. But for me and my style of writing, what I'm trying to achieve, I wouldn't get the quality of work. So I think it, it's that time. It's the research. It's not rushing. So yeah, listen to those podcasts, do the research. Without that, I would have hit so many stumbling blocks over the last mm-hmm. almost two years that it hardly is worth thinking about. Because there are a about. lot. Oh, constant, constant. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying I haven't hit some of them, sure. but when I have, it's not been a surprise or I, I know that they're coming mm-hmm. and it's a conscious choice. Mm-hmm. to, okay, I'm not going to do that this time. I know it's probably the right thing to do, but I'm going to delay it because it's not the right time for me. Right, right. So right. it's absolutely, yeah. it was all the research and the time I took to do that without a doubt. That's yeah. great. That's, well, that's so awesome. Great. So yeah. tell people where they can find out more about you and your books. Well, the website is www.katepadams.com. Uh, that's the, the best place to go. You can get my, my free novella there. And uh, I'm on Facebook and I have an Instagram uh, page as well. Uh, so, yeah, come come find me. And if anybody has any questions and they want to contact me directly, uh, you can contact me through the website. They, I'll get an email from that. All right. right. So I have to ask very quickly, did you include the middle initial to differentiate yourself from other Kate Adams authors? Did you do that? Was that intentional? Yeah, I, I did. It was there for a couple of reasons. One, one was it was uh, it was intentional. It's a pattern that I've seen amongst some writers. It also means that in the future, when I have another pen name, what I'm probably going to go with is KP Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of thinking ahead with that. There's a few personal emotional reasons why yeah. I got P in there as well. Um, but yes, it, it was to awesome. differentiate myself from a couple of people. That's yeah. awesome. Thinking long term. So Thinking smart. long term. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> well, Kate, thank you for being here. This has just been fun. And I've learned some stuff and I'm just so excited for you and, and your success. You've done it right. And um, good luck to you. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. And so we'll have all those links at the wish I know them podcast.com. And thanks to Alexa Larberg for editing and producing the podcast and to Adriel Wiggins for doing the admin. We'll see everybody next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.